I can only do the joke when we were doing um, writing it because I, I guess I can't. I, I can say that Matt and I are talking about redacted stuff today because it's free speech and censorship and that's where the joke is and explaining the joke makes it unfunny. So that's a perfect start to Ditch Diggers Season 8, Episode 5. Here we go. And ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice So your writing career To be clear No punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off Believe me she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right Yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks Buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way To make your writer shut up It's hard work But the perk is that It's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there When you're done writing Ditch diggers So hi, where is where are we coming from, Matt? I can't see in here. Work. I'll turn the lights on. No, this is the Ditch Diggers uh, Wrestling Dojo, <gasps> where we teach suplexes. Mer. Do we teach suplexes here? Can you tell me what a suplex is? Suplex is a classic wrestling move, sometimes called a suplex, in which you hoist your opponent above your head, upside down, and then drop them at a great velocity upon the canvas, or possibly even a harder surface in the canvas. If you want to be saucy and take it outside the ring, I do want to. That, I do want to make it saucy. No, but that we don't teach that here, Mer. We keep oh, it. We, we keep it classy here. We don't teach that kind of extracurricular. We're not Miss Jackson. We we don't call people Miss Jackson here. No, we do not. So yes, this is the Dish Diggers Wrestling Dojo. I am Matt Wallace. I am speaking with Mer Lafferty. Yes, that's me. Podcast Hall of Famer, Mer Lafferty. Technically, yes, that, that, that's also me. Um, I got into the Podcast Hall of Fame before Dave Slusher or Evo Terra, which still feels a little weird. But uh, they were both inducted this year, so they got caught up. They were. They didn't look as good as you when they accepted, though. I'll tell you that right now. Well, you know, not a lot of people can rock, rock the Garanimals like I did. And Scott Sigler, we matched. You did, I remember. I remember the photo. I was very proud of you both because, you know, it's... It's old school, where it goes back to the the OG days. That's of, right. Um, podcasts and podcast fiction. Ah, uh, podcasts and podcast fiction, indeed. Um, so yeah, I am a science fiction author now, um, and I do podcasting. And uh, Matt does uh, middle grade and urban middle grade epic fantasy. What do you call your middle grade? Genres, because middle grade is not a proper genre, because there's a lot of different middle grade books. But you've got like different. There are. It's I don't know. I feel like it it works differently in middle grade. It seems Um, I've done mostly contemporary. Like my first, my first book bump was very contemporary and very grounded, and more like and was marketed kind of as a sports drama because it was about professional wrestling. So it's apropos that we're talking about it here in the Ditch Diggers Wrestling Dojo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my newest one, The Supervillain's Guide to Being a Fat Kid, has fantastical elements to it, but is not being marketed as fantasy. So I don't know how anything works, is the point I'm trying to get to. Mark. Super Superheroes and villains and, and stuff. But only in the backdrop. That's the thing. It's like it's a back, it's a world where heroes and villains, superheroes and supervillains exist, but it's going on in the backdrop. And then the main story is still very grounded. So Indeed. <clears throat> I don't know. 
I don't know how publishing works, Mark. That's what I've come to after 15 years of doing it. I don't know how anything works. It doesn't make any sense. I know that. That is for damn sure. I think I we all just spend I don't. They don't. That's the thing. We it's publishing, much like film and television, much like most industries and employee writers. It's just a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense that we're all pretending makes sense because we can't do anything to fix it. Right. But before so. we get depressed, <laughs> I finally got the thing in the chat. Um, before we get started, uh, I w I did want to mention something that's that, that's discovered about myself and sometimes we talk about it on I should be writing but I think it's relevant because to ditch diggers because it is about marketing um there's a goodreads giveaway u.s only I have, I'm sorry um for station eternity right now it starts Woo! today it goes on till the 30th May 30th and um they're giving away 15 galleys to u.s winners and um those rare advanced copies Mer. yeah and I the was good, looking good. at it today, and I saw it, it went live today. And around nine thirty, I was looking at it and saw that it had almost five hundred people signing up for it already. That's awesome. It's a good thing. It That's an empirical. It's an empirically good thing that scared the shit out of me. I know it. It really scared me. Huge imposter syndrome attack. It was bad, and I was I was talking to our friend Alistair Stewart, and I'm like. If nobody had signed up to win a copy, I would have been crushed. So, <laughs> where the hell is the, the happy medium? Can I, can I, am, am I doomed not to be happy? Are we as authors doomed not to be happy? Because if nothing happens, we're sad. And if something big happens, it's overwhelming and we're not sure we're worthy and we get imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean... You know, I feel like those are extremes, uh, though we do all experience some level of them to a degree. And I think it's managing that level that is where you really where you really find how you cope with it, you know? Okay. Like, it's okay to feel it. You're always going to feel it. Yeah. But it's to the extent that you let it affect you or allow it to affect you or allow it to go undealt with, I guess. Because it's not, you know, it's not a voluntary thing. You're not choosing to feel crappy. Oh, no. No, no. But <laughs> no. I, I do think we bear responsibility for how we cope with that, or at least the choice to try to cope with it in some meaningful way rather than just let it fester within us, you know? Yes. yes. Like talking about it on your award-winning podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. And, very, I, I, yeah. and the thing is, I have to keep... Th this, is, this is going beyond me just feeling shy or... Uh, humility or false humility wherever i don't know what's going on inside my ego it's weird um of the oh i've got a book coming out i don't know if it's any good or not but this is like i need to promote this this is marketing and it is which I is why we're talking about it on ditch diggers exactly because like most things when Murr brings this type of stuff up i'm like that's an i should be writing thing that's not what we do on the show because i'm very stringent about separating those two yeah, things he but, gets he gets um quite stringent but uh, I do. I'm very stringent. That's the word for it. But no, it is. It is. It's something that does relate heavily to the business of writing because, like you said, it affects all those things. You know. And I was actually just because you were telling me about this before we went on the stream to talk about it, and I was trying to think of like some own example, some some examples from my own experience that sort of relate to this. 
And I came up with a specific one that I think is a good example. Hit me. Not to hide, not to hijack the conversation and make it about me, but just to like to relate to what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Um, so when uh, Savage Legion, my first epic fantasy book, when they announced the book, they did the publisher did like kind of a faux interview with me where it's like you know I talk about what the book is about, and I went into this thing about. Um, because I always saw it kind of as an anti-epic fantasy. It was sort of like a self-aware epic fantasy. And I wanted mm-hmm. to, like, not necessarily satirize epic fantasy, but just, like, address all the things that bug me about it as a genre. Um, just, like, the really obvious stuff. You know, it's not... I'm not saying it's, like, a brilliant critique or anything. Anyway, so I talked about that, and then they kind of formed it into this thing where it's, like, Matt Wallace is smashing tropes and, like, you know, changing the genre and just, like, really made it grandiose in this announcement, Right. And they put out the announcement, and I, when I first read it, I didn't think too much about it. I was like, fine, they're hyping the book. That's what you do. You hype the book. And then somehow, and I don't know how this happened, because I don't even read Reddit. I fucking hate Reddit. But I saw comments to the announcement on Reddit, on Reddit Fantasy. And the comments were just ripping everything that they and I said about the idea of the book to shreds. Just about how, like, that's not original, that's not trope smashing, this author did it better in this book, even though the book, my book hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Just savaging the very idea of what we were talking about. And it was just so, it made me so self-aware of like how I had talked about the book. It made me embarrassed about how I had talked about my own book, just because of reading all those comments. That like, I found myself not wanting to share the announcement any more than I already had. Ah. Uh. And that's, that brings around back to what we're talking about. Like, I got so inside my own head about it, I'm not promoting one of the most fundamental things about a book, which is that initial announcement of this is the book it's coming out, when, when and where, from who. Yeah. And, you know, you can't, uh, you can't do that. You can't get in your own way like that. Like, people are going to deal with, deal with you however they deal with And here's the thing. I'm not saying that you can't even take some valid lessons from that. You know, it's okay to reflect on, all right, how am I presenting myself and my work? And is that the way I want to present myself and my work? It's okay to reflect on those things and refine them. But to be, like, frightened into just not talking about it at all, that's, I think, where you go past the healthy, introspective part into the imposter syndrome affecting your career part. And the thing, the thing that gets me is that people like that wander around looking for stuff to shit on they yeah they uh, there are people who you can tell they've got searches set up for trigger words that they want to go in and disagree with because they will you know come out of the woodwork to disagree with you on twitter when you've never seen them before um and I try to remember that these people are not going to be happy with anything. And if they can't find anything to complain about, they're going to make shit up. I was, uh, I, I didn't watch it. I, I really tried to stay away from Star Wars social media when Solo came out because I was very right. aware of the fact that I was the first woman to write a Star Wars novelization and was waiting for someone to, to get me for that and I think someone found out I was friends with Chuck Wendig and I can't remember what it was but there was a, a YouTube video claiming that I had set my fans on somebody on behalf of Chuck Wendig right and I'm like that is the most 
that is so... I can't even comprehend that. It's like, okay, <laughs> first, Chuck Wendig's audience is vastly larger than mine. And two, it's a total lie. I mean, I yeah. I like Chuck. I support Chuck. But I haven't... I, I've never sicked anybody on anybody. And I wouldn't because I understand the power dynamics of the internet. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I was just—I was literally trying to remember an instance where I has Murray ever sicked anybody in a No, you haven't. I can—I I, would—I would remember if you did. Yeah. So, it's like—I uh, mean, the most I'll do is my joke of somebody tells somebody else that I'm not talking to them, and I usually right. do it in audio, in in hearing or visual of the person who I want to tell them I'm grumbling at because I do that all the time in my in my house <laughs> with my friends or my family. Um, Numbers Ninja has to tell my husband that I'm not speaking to him sometimes. Um, yeah, you've done it to me before. Yeah. So Several it's like times. That, that's, that's the worst I've ever done. And, and just the fact that these guys worked hard to come up yeah, with no. a lie. It's a whole, that's a whole industry, honestly, at this point. And, and like so, that, yeah. you know. And, 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 and you know, I, I, well, I mean, my point is, is that I'm sorry it made you feel so shitty because, but the thing is, they probably set out to do it. They're, they were like, okay, well, here's a guy who thinks he's the next George R. R. Martin, but he's not. So let's find something in there to shit on. And if we can't find yeah, it, we'll I mean, make something. And, and they're just like looking for things. A lot of, yeah. And a lot of that is, uh, is that crowd of like, uh, we like fantasy from long ago. And we're yes. here. We're here to make sure none of this newfangled fantasy uh, stories about women. <laughs> yeah, for for example. Yeah. Um, and again, just going back to the practical side of it, like whatever. Those people are never going to be part of your audience. Exactly. And it just doesn't. It does in real terms, in real career terms, in real sales terms. They just don't matter because, like, they're they're. You're never going to convert them. And they're not gonna they're not gonna convert anyone else who was meaning who was meaningfully into your stuff. Like anybody who can't see that trolling for what it is is either a troll themselves or wasn't somebody that you were gonna you were gonna get. So you're not losing anything by just ignoring that audience and not paying attention to it. Right. And but you know, for for I'm just saying, but even me and like I I tend to think of myself as pretty thick skinned and I've learned a lesson of not I don't even read reader reviews of my stuff oh, anymore no. like on oh, amazon no. or goodreads i just you know i'll retrade stuff but i don't even do that anymore so i'm pretty seasoned and pretty school but even me i had that moment where just just being hit with that wall just made me so self-conscious and so like frightened like yeah. it, it, it you know it caused me to make incorrect and detrimental uh promotional marketing slash career decisions and that's the that's the really practically you know, just not even in terms of self-care and, like, you know, wellness, which is... Uh, and, again, that's more important than selling a book. Like, how you your self-care and, like, your wellness as a person is more important than selling a book. But since we do talk about the business of selling a book, that is the thing I'll say about that side of it. Is it, 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 it can mess with you in very real ways that are external, not just internal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, can't let, you can't let it do that because that's just, you know, it's not what you're about. You didn't do all this work writing a book... And selling a book to a publisher. And editing, editing and, the book. And editing the book. And then realizing that your publisher isn't going to market your book because publishers suck at marketing. 
to not to fail yourself that way. You know, you went through all of that, and you owe it to yourself to at least, from your perspective, give your book the best chance that you can. Right. Um, Premi says the messing for me is even worse when I'm like, why am I letting myself feel this way about marketing my book? Why is my publisher not marketing the book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, man. Your own publisher can give you uh, imposter syndrome that affects you that way because you start to it's almost like uh, being abandoned by a parent it's like you have you have these issues it's like well if they don't love me then no one can love me right yeah because they're they're supposed to they're my publisher they bought the book if oh. they're not making if they're not making efforts to sell the book they must think the book is shit yeah so I, the I, book yeah i know I've mentioned it before, but I know somebody whose uh, own publisher gave them a three-star review, or th just three-star rating on Goodreads. <laughs> three stars. Their publisher. Oh my god, that's so yeah. bad. Yeah. No. Why? What? Why? Yeah. So, um... Like the individual who is the publisher? I think the owner, maybe? Of the press, so like on or... on their on their own, it wasn't like the official publisher. No, I don't think so, but I can't remember. The, it was a while but ago, the... but I do remember thinking, "Wow, you, you bought a three star book, <laughs> you thought it was three stars, and then you decided to rate it to bring it down because you don't want to make money." Okay. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. And then Premi is obviously pointing out that like this, like a lot of it isn't even about author ego. It's like, is it not the business of the publisher to sell the book? Do they not want to sell books? Which is getting into a whole other separate but equally relevant topic of the ineptitude, the seeming ineptitude and indifference of many publishers when it comes to marketing their book, which we have talked about before and we'll talk about again. I'm Probably. certain, but but I am specifically focusing on that aspect because we're talking about how that affects your emotional state and your imposter syndrome, and then by proxy, how that affects your ability to effectively do your job yeah. as an author trying to sell your book. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, my, my, my new goal is to not... I feel like I'm avoiding Amazon rankings or something, because I know a lot of people have the problem of when their book comes out to, like, focus on the Amazon rankings really closely. Yeah. But uh, now I'm like wanting to look at and see how many people have signed up for the Goodreads thing. And I'm just like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't focus on that. I got, I got if work it, to yeah. do. Dude, if it's, if it's going to have a more, po a more negative effect on you than a positive, then yeah, absolutely ignore it. And yeah, the Amazon rankings things. And the thing is, I, I check my rankings. I'm not going to pretend I don't check it. My wife checks my rankings obsessively. And the thing is, I am fully aware that they mean virtually nothing. Yeah. Until you get into, like, some really high numbers on that list, you know, like, if you sell a copy, it will move your ranking several hundred thousand positions if you're far back. Like, yeah. most of, for most of us, for 90% of us, those rankings just don't mean anything. They're just not meaningful in any way, you know? Right. And, like, even then, you know, you get into book scan and all that shit, and, like, that just makes you feel terrible because those numbers are always way off. Yeah. Oh, so. and Amazon ranking is always weird because they've got like the the subgenres of books are just bizarre, and half the time yeah. they're wrong. Yeah, they are. So um, it's uh, I mean, whenever it's... somebody claims very proudly that they're an Amazon bestseller, I bestseller, yeah. I almost never take them seriously because it's like in fantasy, uh, epic fantasy, uh, feminist epic fantasy. Feminist epic fantasy on water, 
Yeah. Just like epic fantasy on water. Werewolves who are into werewolves. Egyptian cabinet exactly. making. Yeah, like it's really, really... Although I would read the hell out of a book about a werewolf who was really into Egyptian cabinet making. I'll say that right now. <laughs> but if, I if want it's a feminist book. story on water that's epic fantasy, would you still be into it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, alright guys, well, someone grab that and go. But, I mean, me. But the thing is, me, one person buying that book, is going to move you to number 10 on that ranking and it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point. Oh my I God. don't know, man. I go... I'm sorry, go ahead. Kids Are Asleep says, my book was tagged as Cuban travel or something like that. Um, I, I believe Kids Are Asleep, you are you are Cuban, correct? Um, but also, it's science fiction. <laughs> it's, it's space science fiction. Cuban travel to other worlds and far futures. Like, maybe that would make more sense. I don't know. But that's that's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, also indicative of, I mean, you in know. American, but yes, yes. Yeah, you're, right. and again, with with the algorithms, with the algorithms, and with the way publishers honestly market books, too, that shit obviously gets very racist and very uh, misogynistic, too. Like, there are overtones of that built into the system as well. Yeah. That just end up categorizing your books in shitty ways. Um, no, but I was going to say, it's, I, I get of two minds about the, like, Amazon bestseller thing. Like, when people pump that mm-hmm. it's like i know it's ridiculous i think 99 percent of the time they know it doesn't really mean anything either so naturally i have an adverse reaction to that it's like you didn't really accomplish anything at the same time as an author i also know you have to use whatever you have that... to like hype your book to the general public so i try to have fair. yeah i try to have empathy in that way and go all right you know you again you were number one in uh and werewolves who are into Egyptian cabinet making fiction, blast that out and by all means claim it and try to get and try to use it to get people interested in your book. I think it's when you meet people, you know, because we've all met other authors or encountered them online or at conventions who do legitimately take that shit way too seriously. Have had have, have internalized it way too much to make it mean more than it actually does. That can be obnoxious, and I think that's part of where my knee jerk reaction to seeing it comes from. But if someone who is aware of how things work is just using it because that's what they've got to, to trumpet about. That's honestly okay. I don't have an issue. You gotta, you gotta use whatever you got, man, to try to cut through the noise and have a reason to talk about your book that isn't just buy my book. So right. I apologize. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm no. talking about the need for people to market themselves and I just shat on it. So yeah. no, no, it's a good, it's a, it's a good thing to examine. I'm not, I'm because I'm saying Mur, I have the same reaction you do. That's my natural reaction to it. I'm just trying to like take a step back from it and go, all right, what's the other side? So to bullet point that, I just say, like, be aware, if you're an author, be aware of the realities of what these things actually mean, especially because, you know, you need to have, the, you need to have your eye on the prize and realize, like, in terms of real sales, that shit doesn't really mean anything. Be aware of it, but you can also use it as, as you need to. Just be realistic about it, because that's, that's really where the ire comes from. It's not that using it, it's when people, it's when authors buy into it and become really obnoxious about it. That's when I get it. That's when I get upset. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not good at, at realizing that you have a very limited time for our new Ditch Diggers format, and we've talked an awful lot about this, and I'm sorry. Um, no, no, it's good. This has been good stuff. I know this was supposed to be like a footnote thing, but yeah. I think we've actually... We've actually covered some really good territory, and there's a lot there to plumb that's relevant, so um, I regret nothing. But yeah, we haven't even gotten into what was supposed to be the meat of this episode. Right, and I'm sorry. There's nothing to do with any of this shit. I think I'm going to do a tiny bit of a pivot and just say, sometimes I feel like when we talk about how shitty publishing is in 
general or in specific, we don't actually come up with um, uh, result like things you can do. We don't come up with action right. items. We don't. We you know, and I feel kind of negative when we do that. Um, so I do want to mention that um, Texas has been in the news lately because of rampant censorship of their libraries. And first of all, censorship is when the government tells you what you can and cannot read. It is not when a publisher says, wow, this high-profile book we were about to do, the author just went out and did a racist, and we don't want to be affiliated with them, and we don't want to publish this book anymore. That's something entirely. That's a business person making business decisions, which usually you know, uh, more conservatives are behind the businesses being able to make decisions like that. Um, But not when it comes to not wanting to publish a racist, bigot, dangerous thing. Um, But this is the government. This is the local government telling the libraries what they can and cannot put in there. And people are just like, well, you know, we'll just send books to Texas and and get those kids the, the, the thing. And it's like, Getting the books in the hands of the kids is hard. And, um, you know, I I hear people are, like, doing underground, like, secret libraries, and I need to look more into that because that sounds awesome. But also, um, I I read today that there's finally a lawsuit um, impinging on First Amendment rights of the people in that area, um... Which is good. And it made me start thinking about, okay, as as writers, as people, how can we combat this? And again, I'm sorry, this is a very U.S.-focused talk, because I don't know how to fight censorship in any other country. Um, the biggest things I do, personally, are um, I support the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. I even wore the shirt. I wore, I wore the shirt, CBLDF. And um, while they mostly cover comics... Um, it's a good shirt. They well, they do cover comics, but a lot of comics, um, such as Alison Bechtel's Fun Home, which is her uh, memoir of growing up gay, um, that's been challenged a lot, and the CBLDF has has stood up for that, and um, a number of other things. So, but that's specifically comic focused. Um, the ACLU also does. Uh, censorship and First Amendment um, defense. And I was going to look up more, but I didn't. And if I do it on the website right now, everyone will see my search. So um, I wanted to talk to you about what you think about all of this and see if people in chat have an idea. Um, Underpope says, as a library student, the whole book banning movement, which is spewing forth across the country, terrifies me. Yes, Underpope, it is absolutely terrifying. Um, and people are trying to fight back however they can. No, yeah, and I think you hit upon a couple of really important things there about it. The first being, what is censorship? Because that is like one of the most overused and misinterpreted things in online, especially Twitter discourse, you know. Anytime anything happens where, like you said, uh, an author does a racist publisher, doesn't want to publish a book, everybody starts screaming censorship. This is an example of what we're talking about here of actual censorship that needs to be stymied and killed because it is very bad. Um, the other thing is 
myths surrounding uh, book banning and I think reactions people have to it that are good intentioned but counterproductive. Um, and one of the things I always I always see when this comes up is that idea that no book banning is good marketing. It's going to help authors sell more books because they've been banned. I think people say that, and a lot of times it's well intentioned, and I'm, I'm sure it comes from a good place. I also think it's a way to kind of like let themselves off the hook for having to do anything about it, because uh, it's just patently untrue. It's a, it's the, the worst attitude to take towards this stuff. It's that's not how things work, Ban especially. And I can I can say this as a middle grade author, someone who writes books for kids specifically libraries and schools and educators that's the lifeblood of books for kids right yeah. that's how people find out about them that's how those books do well and are successful and get bought when you take them out of the equation of libraries and schools it just means no one's ever going to know about them yeah period and it also so, really affects um poor kids um, yeah to and a that's, great gr just so much worse than than yeah middle class or, or well-off kids that's absolutely the other thing I wanted to get into because one, like, people, someone actually taking action and trying to do something very helpful is uh, the Brooklyn Public Library. They're digitizing banned books and they're offering free uh, access to them to kids all across the country, that's right? That's excellent. It's excellent. It's an amazing thing. That's, that's just, that's another organization you can support that is taking concrete action to actually help uh, do something about this. I'm sorry, so tell I me exactly to, I, what that is because I want to put it in the show notes. So I need to write it down. It's the Brooklyn, I believe it's just the Brooklyn Public Library. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, Brooklyn Public Library. They're digitizing banned books for, for American students. Um, so absolutely worth supporting an amazing thing, uh, never out of stock, all that stuff. But again, it's, it's something that relies on kids and students having access to the level of technology required that too. To, to access those books. So there is, there is an access barrier there, which is technology, and we sometimes completely forget that not every kid in this country has an iPad. Like, too many people just assume that this giant technology gap doesn't still exist. Yeah. You know, and it does. And there are so many kids out there who, for whom library and physical copies and that, that kind of access, that's the only access they have. So while it's an amazing thing, it's something that doesn't address that. And that's why, like, all, this, all these kind of ancillary things around it you have to address direct, the, directly the problem, which is we have to fight the actual laws that are being put into place, the actual legislation that is happening, and the school boards that are allowing it to happen, and libraries that are supporting it. Like all, it, like you have to, you have to find organizations and ways to tackle the problem directly. The ancillary stuff is good, but it's not like the Brooklyn Public Library is doing everything they can, but that isn't that doesn't fix the problem. It's just it's a way they're kind of getting around it to help. Yeah. So supporting those things is great, but you have to find ways to take direct action to stop it because that's the only way that's actually going to help the kids who don't have the access to all these ancillary measures that are being taken. <clears throat> right. So, I just yeah. found. I just found. May I sue Facebook, Twitter, or social media companies for violating my First Amendment or free speech rights? No, the First Amendment restricts governmental action only. Specifically, that's that's what we're talking about here. Yes, fix the Christo fascism in Florida. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's stuff to fight everywhere, and sometimes it makes me really tired. And sometimes I'm just like, well, I remember. Uh, I, I know it wasn't his anecdote, uh, but it, I heard it from Evo Terra a while back, which is the 
uh, someone was looking at a beach full of uh, washed up uh, sea stars. Not sea stars. What are they? Starfish. And um, a kid was walking along the beach, grabbing the starfish and throwing them back in the water. And the person's like, you got this whole beach full of starfish. How are you going to make a difference? And the kid's like, I made a difference to that one. And I try to remember that when I feel small and helpless, especially during these terrible times. It's like, all right, well, I can give money to CBLDF. And they have the people who don't wilt when they hear about oppression. They stand up and they fight. And um, I can do my podcast and I can promote these organizations or tell people to vote and stuff because you, you kind of say, oh, I don't want to get political here, but shit, having a writing career is political, y'all. It yeah, is. That, that's, not, that's not a thing that exists. Like, an, there is no such, there's no such as apolitical. It's just no, not. No, there's it's just, not. Yeah. But it Silence, is, yeah. Silence is taking a political stance, absolutely. Right. When it comes to... I mean, it's it's abs. Your career is absolutely political when you start looking at the things your government is trying to do to silence certain voices, and um, so absolutely, voting is important if that is something you can do. Uh, Meerkat says, "Well, the UK has just outlawed protests and deemed orgs like Extinction Rebellion as terrorists, so I guess it's only a matter of time for book burning here." Meerkat, that's absolutely fucking terrifying, and I am so Scary. sorry. Um, I hope there's someone standing up. I, I, from what I understand, is the um, a lot about the British politics are rotten from the inside, and I just keep wondering about the point of the royal family, except to walk around and have scandals and be rich. But that's a completely different subject, and I don't think it's on the topic of book burners or ditch diggers or whoever the hell we are. I wrote, I, I worked on a series called Book Burners. I am not you know. in order, in, in support of this at all, just saying. It was um, a good series, though. Um, thank you. Someone in the chat also said, I think Liberwell, um, by a politician saying, it's not censorship because the kids can still buy the books. Oh, yeah. Which is another completely false. And the thing, the thing about arguments like that is, they the the politicians saying it know what complete bullshit that is. Oh yeah, it's just it's just a flat out lie, and that, it goes back to everything we're talking about, which is, you know, that is that is a barrier that is just a barrier they know exists to books that is absolutely going to work in their favor because not kids can't afford to go out and buy them. Kids aren't going to know the books exist. Like they know yeah, exactly, exactly what they're doing. It's such it's just it's just a lie, and I know it's like everybody lies all the time. So like we almost get. But, like, that's a fucked up lie to tell because, like, you, you're knowingly preventing kids from accessing these things. And just yeah. the arguments, like... And, you know, we talked a little bit before the show. We hadn't brought it up. But, like, one of the big one of the big arguments they use is we're trying to ban pornography, yeah. right? And that always takes me back to a very famous quote by someone I can't remember. But I think they were talking about... Uh, I think it was about Germany when that first started. They were like... We're gonna we're gonna outlaw pornography, and the people were like, "Oh, that's awesome! Pornography's bad. We're we're fine with that." Problem, and first of all, pornography isn't bad, but that was what the people at the time thought. The problem in the context of that time was once they once they ushered that in, then what was pornographic? Everything was pornographic. The exactly. teachings of Jesus were pornographic. Like everything became pornography, and it's it's an old tactic that's still being used here because it still works. As long as you point to something and say, "Well, that's pornography, and that's corrupting the minds of our children." 
you got a bunch of people who are going to be like, oh, yeah, fine, whatever it is. Oh, it's just a book that has the word gay in it one time? That's cool. Take it out. Take it out of libraries. Yeah. We don't need it. And it's just, it's all completely, it's all, <sighs> I'm, words are failing me because I'm getting upset. But um, it's, they're, they're knowing, they're knowing falsehoods. They know exactly, they know what they're saying is not true. Yeah. They know what you they're know. saying can manipulate things. Um, yeah. I did just, hear, it, yeah. I did it's hear no, about, uh, this was a while back. I did hear about a, a, a someone who was running on the, the and, and part of his plan was to um, either close or greatly restrict funding to the library. And so his opponents thought, huh, all right. And so they printed out a whole bunch of, it might not even been a person, it might have just been like a, a, a work for the something the county wanted to do was defund the library or something. And what they did was they printed up a whole bunch of political posters that says, we're closing the library. Vote yes on this, this, and this. And just talk about how great it is to restrict and close the library. And everybody in the community got really mad. And uh, they, they, which of course, you know, that's, that's, that's propaganda ma manipulation, but shit. Sometimes if that's the only weapon you're, you were given, what are you going to do? And I mean, you know, it's, yeah. And you got to use, I, I think there is, a, there is a merit in counter tactics, you know, at that point. <clears throat> Especially if somebody brings a fight to you you weren't looking for, like, hey, we're going to ban all your books. Like, you do what you got to do. Oh so good God. points being made in the chat. Yeah. Um, Kids are asleep. It's also weaponizing legitimate arguments about which books do and do not belong in libraries based on their actual merits. That's another problem. You start obfuscating concepts like like that, and then you know what what does anything mean at that point? And then also the kids are asleep. Libraries do have limited space of choices that have to be made, but how those choices are made, well, and that is a very yeah. good point as well. Like libraries do have limited space, but the criteria being put forth in a lot of these states that are banning books should not be the criteria. Uh, upon which those selections are made. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> our local library had problems with a security guard checking out children's books from a Black Lives Matter display to keep kids from reading the police bashing books. Oh my god. I, I, yeah. I assume the fact that they had problems with the security guard doing that means they did something about it? Because if they found out that that's what was going on, that's horrific. Uh... Thank you, Christian Writing, for that comment. Uh, K. Kimmy says, Also important to remember that we can't all stand up to injustice all the time, but we can stand up some of the time when others are too burnt out and need rest. Yes, that was my point That was my point earlier, whereas a lot of times when I hear stories like this, it just makes me wilt inside. I'm not a fighter. I'm sorry. I, I wish I were. I've tried to be. <laughs> I've tried to be. <laughs> I'm just really bad at it. And so I try to, I, I have the privilege to be able to monetarily support organizations that are built of people who are fighters, unlike myself. And I make sure to vote and I try to make issues be known. But, you know, um, and when I am tired and burnt out, I, I trust that others are going to do work and hopefully amplify them when I can. But, um, <sighs> Yeah, I think a lot of people who feel helpless like I do have been feeling adrift, which is why I wanted to approach this in a more positive way and say, here are some things you can do. There's the Brooklyn Public Library, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and the ACLU. The ACLU has two uh, branches. One of them is specifically a very liberal branch that is political, and I think 
I'm not sure how far it goes, but it is not tax deductible. It is not a, a charity, officially. Um, there's another branch that is a protector of civil liberties, which your First Amendment rights are some of those civil liberties, and they are tax deductible. So if you disagree with the ACLU on a larger level, they still protect the First Amendment, and you can find out which one of their arms to support, because there are two different ones. Um, it's a good distinction. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. I know because when we're making donations, it's like, well, we don't definitely want to give to the LCLU. Are we going to give to the, the part we can deduct or the part we can't deduct? And, and uh, so it's it's a decision to make depending on what they're working on. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, you do what you can when you can, you know. If all you can do is find out about bad books and let other people you know about them, other parents and other kids, and just do that, like it's, yeah, or you can only you can only do what you can do. Check out your your local library. Ask the librarians there what's going on, what's what what's happening. You know, uh, educate yourself based on what's going on around you. So. Um, yeah, we'll have all that in the show notes and probably some other stuff that we, we failed to mention. And again, if anybody else has uh, anything they'd like to include in there in the chat right now or listening to this podcast, even when it becomes a podcast and you want to hit us up, uh, what's a good email address to hit us up, Mark? That would be mightymer at gmail.com. Please put ditch diggers in the subject line. I get a lot of email and it all kind of muddles together sometimes. Um, and if you want to see the blog and show notes and subscribe to Ditch Diggers, you can either search for Ditch Diggers on your favorite uh, podcatcher. They still say podcatcher? I don't know. We still say podcatcher. We still say podcatcher. Uh, basically Spotify or Apple, let's just be honest. Um, search for Ditch Diggers, or you can go to Merverse.com and get the feed directly. Um, yeah, and my books are available. You can get Station Eternity, The Goodreads, um... Link will be in the show notes, and I'm going to put it in the chat in a minute. And um, also, I keep forgetting to do this. I am the worst uh, person to ever raise money for anybody ever. But I am tr supposedly raising money for St. Jude right now. And uh, some of the one of the uh, things people have not cashed in on yet is I get a writing prompt from Matt and I have to write 30 minutes live on stream for the writing prompt that Matt gives me. So I was kind of hoping somebody would choose that one. Um, me too. I'm going to put that information in the, uh, in the chat right now when it, as Matt starts to talk. Yeah, you should definitely take advantage of that because you know I'll make Murr work for it. Yes. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so all those things definitely sign up for Murr's uh, Station Eternity giveaway on Goodreads and pre-order Station Eternity as you're able to. When that's a thing, that's a thing, right, Murr? It sure is. That pre-order is. Um, it's been sliding by in the chat. I can hopefully make it happen on purpose. I I think I have that power. But I will Since also put that in the. Um, Show notes. In the show notes, yeah. But yeah, pre-organization pre attorney and into the Goodreads giveaway because uh, Murr didn't let her uh, imposter syndrome stop her from promoting these that's things. That's true. And that's a, that's, that's a victory in and of itself. I, I was very brave. You were. You were very brave. What? <laughs> no. No, you were. Does that you work? Were. No, it doesn't. Okay. 
Um, no, it's we're gonna we're gonna go with that. We're gonna go. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I also I also write the books. Um, what have I got out, Mar? I've got a lot of stuff out. Uh, I just had a new middle grade. We're talking about kids' books. I just had a new middle grade book come out in uh, January, the end of January. The supervillain's got to be a fat kid. Very funny, very body positive, written by a former fat kid for fat kids. All the things I wish someone had told me. Uh, plus, really good satire of superheroes in there. If I, was, if I do they, something it's, it's also good for kids who aren't fat who maybe no, I, 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 yeah. people properly. I think that it's very important for all kids, but uh, but I wrote it for the fat kids. Yes, um, yes, because they they need some books with their self as a hero when the the solving of the problem of the book is not lose weight. Yes, which is not, and also not being the funny fat friend. Uh, so that's out now. Uh, my the first middle grade book I wrote that came out last year, Bump, is out now in hardcover paperback. And I also write the Savage Rebellion series, which is a big epic adult fantasy series. First two books are out right now. Savage Legion and Savage Bounty, and I'm trying to finish the third in the trilogy, we're right as we speak. All right. Released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. Our music is from Devo Spice, devospice.com. Ditch Diggers! This is a free show that is funded by our patrons. You can help out at patreon.com slash mightymer. Seriously? Premium is requesting that someone do some fan art of her being huge and giant and large and protecting Matt, who is a small forest creature, as well as the planet. By that, I think she means me, who is a small forest creature, and in addition to that, the planet. Not that I am a small forest creature and I am also the planet, which would be very abstract.